This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. If you could turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and one of the ushers will be happy to, to get one to you. Uh, if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we'd love for you to just take that one home as, as our gift uh, for you. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we've recently begun a series in the book of Colossians where uh, we're a few weeks into this series where we're going kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this will take us through the, the next few months. And uh, while you're, you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, I have some ex- exciting news for our family. Uh, we, we recently introduced a new furry member to our family, a dog named Nellie, about two weeks ago. Um, Nellie, and, and this, this ties in, so this isn't just an announcement about our, our, our uh, dog, uh, but she has been a great addition. Um, she has a great personality. She uh, enjoys to run around and, and have a, a fun time, uh, but she also likes to chill, so she, she likes to kind of hang out on the couch and and cuddle, and, and so far she's, she's done a pretty good job of matching our energy levels at a, a given time. But as, as, as great as Nellie is, um, we have found that, that Nellie does have one major flaw. And uh, I've mentioned before how, how we have two cats at home, got a little bit of a zoo going on. Um, and we were told by, no, by Nellie's foster parents that um, before we adopted her, that, that Nellie seemed to do great with cats, um, which we found to be somewhat true, except for the fact when Nellie sees a cat and the, the cat begins to run, just, just all bets are off. You know, all, all chaos ensues. She's knocking stuff over. Things get broken. There's just something about a, a little ball of fur in motion that, that just makes Nellie go nuts, and she loses her mind. I don't think she wants to hurt the cats. I think she, she just really wants to, to play with them really, really badly. Um, but we, we've seen with the, the way she acts, she's either going to get hurt because she's just completely oblivious to everything else that, that's going around or, or her surroundings, or she's going to end up hurting someone else, maybe a cat or two. So in, in an effort to, to help her work through this issue, we, we've reached out to some, some different trainers and just have asked, you know, what, what do we do about this? And, and we've been told the, the place to start to help Nellie overcome her, her fixation and her distraction on the, the wrong things is, is not to, to further focus her on those things by, by scolding her and telling her she needs to stop. But what she needs most is to learn to, to focus on better things. She needs to fix her attention on what is better. Something needs to become more captivating to her and more worthy of her attention than what is distracting her at the moment. And that is what our text is about this morning. The Colossian church is in danger of becoming spiritually distracted. They're in danger of becoming fixated on on things that they shouldn't be fixated on. And because of that, taking their eyes off of Jesus, the one who is the the source of all spiritual life 
and health and goodness. There are those that are propagating a false teaching in the church, and, and what they're, they're doing is diverting the Colossian church's attention away from Jesus by saying things like, yeah, sure, Jesus is great, but, but so are these other things, right? Jesus is good, but there, there's more. Jesus is important, but, but so are all these other things important, are important. Jesus is a priority. He's just not the only priority. They were in danger of becoming spiritually distracted in a way that they would lose their, their focus on Christ and, and miss out on, on all that is to be found in him. John Newton, the, the great pastor and, and writer of the, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, once in a letter wrote the following. He said, if I may speak my own experience, I find that to keep my eyes simply upon Christ as my peace in my life is by far the hardest part of the Christian life. Don't you find that to be true? To keep our eyes simply upon Christ as our source of life and peace can, can just be so challenging, can it? Especially with all that that competes for our attention. And yet there, there is nothing more important, nothing more vital to our spiritual health than to, to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And what Paul does in our text this morning, all that knowing all that the, the Colossian church is facing and all that was competing for their attention and their affection, he, he doesn't just tell the Colossian church, just stop being distracted. Just don't do that. He doesn't even start with, with pointing out with what's, what's wrong with the, the things that are distracting them. Rather, what he does is he starts with, with pointing their attention to, to where it should be fixated. He points them to the, the greatness of Christ. To what we, we, we see in our text, what he calls the preeminence of Christ. The, the word preeminent means to be surpassing all others, to be superior, to, to be greater. And he points them to the preeminence of Christ, that they would find themselves captivated by one far greater than all else that is competing for their attention. And he does this by composing a hymn, which we see in our passage, a, a spiritual song about the, the greatness of Christ. Every, every word carefully chosen to help those with distracted hearts to find their focus once again, and to once again be captivated by the, the one who is far better than all else. He gives us one of the most beautiful portraits of Jesus in all of Scripture. So let us read this hymn together. We'll see this, this hymn is in verses 15 through 20. And then Paul, uh, we'll, we'll also read verses 21 through 23 as, as Paul helps us to apply this hymn. Uh, friends, may his preeminence captivate our hearts once again as we meditate on the, the reality of, of who Jesus is. Let's Let's read, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father, we need you to open our eyes to to wonders that we are naturally blind to, slow to take in. Lord, thank you for the promise of your spirit to reveal Christ to us. Lord, we pray that you would do that in all his glory, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for help as I just feel my complete inadequacy to come close to to rightly conveying the glories that, that are found in this text before us, Lord. But I pray for your help. Would you preach to our hearts a far better sermon than the one prepared? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We want to look at three sections of our text this morning as we behold the preeminent Christ. In the first part of our hymn, we see the preeminence of Christ in creation. That's in verses 15 through 17. In the second part of our hymn, we see the preeminence of Christ in redemption. And that's in verse, verses 18 through 20. And finally, in verses 21 through 23, we want to look at the preeminence of Christ in our lives. In other words, what do we do with this vision of Christ? What are we called to? How do we apply what we've read? So let's look at the first part of our hymn, point number one, the preeminence of Christ in creation. Paul begins this, this first section of this hymn, tying the preeminence of Jesus to, to one fundamental aspect of who Jesus is. He, Jesus is the preeminent son of God tells us in verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God. As the the Son of God, Jesus is the spitting image of God, his Father. See, Jesus is to see the Father. And what Paul is highlighting for us here is that there is no one else or nothing else in all of creation as glorious as Jesus because no one else or nothing else in all of creation reveals to us God as Jesus does. Notice what Paul says. He says he is the image of the invisible God. He doesn't say that Jesus is an image or one of many possible images. He doesn't even say about him what scripture says about us as, as, as humans, that, that he's made in the image of God. While, while this is certainly true for Christ and his humanity, yet, yet Paul is saying something more here. Paul here is saying that Jesus is absolutely unique and preeminent 
in all of creation because he alone is the image of God. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. See, Jesus is to see God. Jesus makes what, what Paul says here, the, the invisible God, visible to us. The, the God who is his spirit that we, we can't see with our, our physical eyes. The, the one whom we're told in places like 1 Timothy 6.16 that he, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has ever seen or can see. The God who, when Moses in Exodus 33 says, please show me your glory, he replies, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. In Jesus, this request of Moses has been answered. In Jesus, we see the, the glory of the, the revelation of God in, in greater clarity than, than we ever have before in all of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. I recently spent a, a morning at the Philadelphia Art Museum, and there, there was some absolutely beautiful images there. But, but as, as beautiful as these images were, I was, I was content to, to go and maybe spend a few minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes top at a, tops at a given image. And those were the ones that, that really captivated me. But, but, but the image of a God who is infinite, who is eternal, how, how can we ever move on from that image? It's what our, our souls long for. It's what we were, were made for. Can, can you imagine if, if a museum was said to have an actual image of the invisible God? We, we would never need to move on because the, the beauty of that, that image would just be so inexhaustible. All other images in the, the museum, we would, wouldn't even be worth a glance in their direction. Friends, this is what we have right now in Christ. As we behold Christ in his word and the gospel, we see the image of the invisible God. He makes the, the invisible God visible to us. And the Colossian church needed to be reminded of this, and, and so do we. Isn't it true? Our, our hearts can be so tempted to, to take the, the things of this world and to, to make them to, to be the image of God. This, this is what will, will truly satisfy me. If I have this, my, my soul will experience the joy that, that it was made for. Things like wealth, or relationships, or success, or approval. And we all, we all have our things that, that we're tempted towards. F fill in the blank. We take the, the, the things of this world and we, we say, this is the image of God. This will fill the longing in my soul. And yet Paul is reminding us here as the, the song that, that we often sing goes, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. All the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All that our hearts long for is found in Christ because in Christ we see the image of God. Paul continues in, in verse 15 declaring the preeminence of the Son not only as the, the Im of, image of his Father but also as the, the firstborn of the Father. 
firstborn, he says, of, of all creation, rightful heir to what is the Father's. To be the firstborn, biblically speaking, is to be the, the one in the family who, who takes on the, the role of authority. It speaks of a, a position that, that outranks all others. Paul is saying Jesus outranks all of creation. He's the, the rightful authority over all creation. Now, just to be clear, Paul isn't saying Jesus was, was part of creation. He was one of God's creation. Um, biblically speaking, this, this term firstborn is actually a, a title. It's a, a term that, that primarily refers to rank. And while quite often birth order was what determined that, uh, it wasn't always the case. And wasn't always the, the firstborn wasn't always given the, the title of firstborn. Uh, for example, we see this in a place like Psalm 89, verse 27, uh, where speaking of King David on behalf of God, the psalmist says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. He's not saying that David will be born before the, the other kings, uh, but that he will outrank all the other kings. In fact, we, we know as far as birth order goes that, that David was actually the youngest of his brothers, but yet as king, he received the, the title of, of firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And, and, and in our hymn, Paul just begins to present a case for, for why this is so. What gives Jesus the right to this, this title of firstborn of creation? Why does he outrank everything else in creation? Paul begins to show us. We see this, this phrase that, that Paul uses over and over again, uh, this phrase, all things. It's repeated five times through, throughout our text. He wants us to show us how Jesus compares with, with all things. You know, one, one of the uh, perennial debates we can have as sports fans is, is who is the GOAT, right? The, the greatest of all time. I was just having this debate with a friend earlier this week as LeBron James and his Lakers were swept four games to zero in the Western Conference Finals. And um, I was happy to remind my friend that while LeBron is great and clearly the second best player of all time, he still is no Michael Jordan. Now, maybe some of you may disagree, and my friend didn't agree with me. Uh, so I sent him a chart with the stats of Michael Jordan on one side and LeBron on the other so they can be compared side by side. Here Paul is, is sending us the, the stat sheet, if you will. He's saying, let's compare side by side. And he, he goes stat by stat. Let's see Jesus on one side and all of creation on the other. And let's see how they stack up. It says in verse 16, by him all things were created. Well, clearly Jesus is greater in this category because anything we're, we're tempted to place above Jesus that he's being compared to, well, he's the one who made it. Because of that, any glory, any joy we find in other things is ultimately a testimony to his glory. It was his idea. It was his design. It was his handiwork. The, the things in this world he has created are, are meant to, to function as signposts, to, to point us to one who's even more glorious Take delight in the creation of the, over the creators, like stopping at a sign that 
points to the Grand Canyon and just ooing and eyeing over the, the sign, but never making it to see what the, the sign points to. Ah, it's such a, a wonderful sign. Oh, what a beautiful font. The, the, the wood and craftsmanship. And maybe signs are, are your thing. Maybe you love signs. Great. Rejoice in the sign. Might be a wonderful sign. But don't stop there. The sign is meant to point us to something greater. Enjoy his creation. But don't stop there. Allow the sign to point us to the one who is, is far greater than the sign that points to it. Paul's saying all creation points to the glory of the one who created it. He is greater than all things because he made all things. All things are simply meant to serve as a testimony to his glory. We know that one of these things in particular that the, the church of Colossians, or Colossae was being tempted to put in the place of Jesus was the angels. Uh, we see this later on in chapter 2, verse 18, where Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Now, to us today, this, this can seem a little weird. Um, you know, we, we see angels as maybe these kind of strange creatures, you know, sometimes maybe even little chubby babies, you know, floating around. But, but Scripture portrays angels very differently. They're, they're portrayed as actually these, these glorious beings. In the book of 2 Kings 1, angel puts to death, I believe it's 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian army in one night. Very powerful beings. Even the, the great apostle John we read in the, the last book or last chapter of the Bible in the book of Revelation, he beholds an angel and it says he just immediately falls down before it to worship at its feet. The angel has to say, hey, you're, you're not supposed to do that. Get up. You're, you're supposed to, to worship God. And, and, and this, this apostle John, who loved Jesus so much, knew better, but he, he was just overcome. It's like he saw its glory and just, boom, hits the ground. Paul here is saying even the most glorious of beings, the most glorious things in all creation, are not as glorious as Jesus because he created them all. He says he is creator of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In other words, the whole angelic realm, all human authority, all kings, all have been created by Jesus. And because of that, Jesus is far more glorious. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Not only were they created by him, but it says at the end of verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the reason everything exists not just because he he made it all but he made everything for himself he's the the purpose for everything it's all made for his praise for his glory for his pleasure for all eternity the the triune god father son and spirit has has delighted in his over, in his glory and the the overflow of that glory he he invites all creation to to delight in it and to glorify him as well, and to point to the glory of God. All of creation is ultimately meant to, to sing his praise and fulfill his purposes. As the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously proclaimed, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, 
does not cry, mine. Everything is made by him. Everything is made for him. Paul says, not only are all things for him, but in verse 17, he says, and in him, all things hold together. Jesus didn't just create the world, kind of wind it up and, and send it on its way. Jesus is greater than all things because all things are, are ultimately sustained by Jesus. This morning, the, the sun rose because Jesus is holding all things together. Today, the, the planets are still in their orbit because Jesus is holding all things together. This morning, you and I have, have breath in our lungs and hearts that are beating because he's holding all things together. As Hebrews 1.3 says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, this means anything we, we might be tempted to, to find greater joy in than him, the, the reality is right now the only reason that thing exists is because he is holding it together. He's greater. Maybe it's the, the job we're, we're tempted to, to seek to find our identity in. Well, the only reason we're able to do that job is because Jesus gives us the ability. He, he holds us together. He holds the job together. He's preeminent over all creation. He creates and he sustains all things for himself. This, this hymn is written in the form of what's known as a chiasm, which means it has, has two parts that, that mirror one another. And in the, the center, there's this connecting idea that, that applies to, to both the parts. And that, that center piece of this hymn is, is this statement that he holds all things together. Meaning not only does Jesus hold all things together in creation, but, but he also holds all things together in another way. That is in his work of redemption, which leads us to our second point and second part of Paul's hymn, the preeminence of Christ in redemption. And Paul opens this new section of his hymn in verse 18, pointing out how Jesus holds all things together in just this incredibly personal way. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. This king of kings, this creator of all things in whom the, the whole universe revolve, revolves around, the one who sustains the entire universe, has now united himself to a group of people, the church. This one who holds the world together now holds this, this people together through, through union with him. And Paul uses this metaphor of Jesus being the head and his church being the body to help us understand just how important is Jesus to the, the life of his church. Just how preeminent is he? Well, he says pre preeminent as a head is preeminent to a body. Not to be gruesome, but there is no life in a body that doesn't have a head. You, you need a head to, to live the head is the absolutely essential, preeminent part of the entire body. Paul wants to remind us that apart from Christ, there is no life in the body, in the church. In the same way that the head is, is also what gives the body its identity, right? 
you go to the DMV, they don't take a picture of your hand and put on your license. It's our heads that identify us. In, our, in the church, we have no identity apart from Christ. This means that any time we as a church seek to find our, our spiritual life, our spiritual identi- identity in anything else or anywhere else than Christ, it's like we're, we're trying to do a head transplant. Just in case you're wondering, they, they don't work. I even Googled it just to, to make sure. It's 2023. There's, yeah. And friends, as Christ Church South Philly, a, a local expression of Christ's body, how important is this truth for us to remember? How many churches have started off well with Jesus at the center, with Jesus as preeminent, but, but somewhere along the way, something else, and probably even a, a good thing, pushes Jesus to the periphery. The church ceases to be a church because Jesus is, is no longer the head. Part of the, the role we, we play in one another's lives is to, to continually point one another back to the preeminence of Christ in our lives and in the life of our church. This means we should be checking in with each other. Not just asking, hey, you reading your Bible and praying, but how's your joy in Christ these days? How can I be praying for you that Christ will be even more captivating to you this week than he was the week before? Friends, we're, we're, we're called to, to make much of him, and not just alone, but, but together. This is why we exist as a church. This is why we, we gather. This is why we, we do all that we do is for Jesus, our great Redeemer, the, the one who has joined us together in him. Look with me at verse 18. It says, and, and he is the beginning. Just as we saw how, how Jesus set this world in motion and was the beginning of all creation in the, the first part of the hymn. Now here in this second part of the hymn, we see the, the beginning of a new creation. Of a people that the, the Lord is redeeming from the, the brokenness that, that sin and death have brought into this world. And Paul says he's the one who has, has set redemption in motion. He is the beginning. The one who has reached into our brokenness, into our sin, into our shame. And he did this before we ever asked him to. We never had to, to beg him. Never had to sign a, get a petition together and see if he would come to, to rescue us. He came to us. He sought us. He started it all. He is the beginning of this new creation. And Paul says, he is the firstborn from the dead. There's that that description again, the the firstborn. We're in the the first part of our hymn. We see Jesus as the the preeminent firstborn of, of all creation. The exalted cosmic king of the entire universe. Now the, the firstborn king of all creation has taken on a new title. Firstborn from the dead. The exalted creator steps into his creation and into the brokenness of it. And he experiences that brokenness for his creation. 
You may have heard the, the story of Father Damien, the missionary to Hawaii, to Hawaii who, who served a colony of lepers that, um, that was separated from the, the rest of the particular island they were on. There was two to 3,000 foot cliffs that, that separated this, this colony of lepers. The only way that you could get to the colony was by boat in the, the open ocean. And essentially the, the lepers would be sent to this colony to, to be outcast, to be abandoned, and ultimately to, to die. And uh, it was there that Father Damien felt this call to, to serve, and he, he entered their, their broken world to, to do this. He went and he, he lived among them. And uh, he did for many years, and after serving there in this brokenness for 15 years, uh, one day he was cooking a meal, and he accidentally knocked over some boiling water, and it fell on his foot. And he felt nothing. And he, he knew at that moment that he had contracted leprosy. Um, and the story goes that the next Sunday at church, as Father Damien was his custom, he stood up to, to lead the, the people in worship. And he stood up to welcome everyone as he typically do, does. And, and typically his, his greeting on Sunday would start with the greeting, My fellow believers. On this Sunday, he began, my fellow lepers. Not only did he enter their brokenness to help them, he became one of them. Here, Jesus has become one of us. The, the firstborn of all creation has now become the firstborn from the dead. He tastes death on our behalf. He becomes one of us. Paul in verse 19 and 20 just bring us further into to understanding how could this be. He says in verse 19 that it, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And, and what Jesus does is he displays this fullness in, in a way that is just absolutely incredible. He says in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's through the cross that Jesus' creation is ultimately restored from its brokenness. That the, the restoration of all things to their, their rightful place has begun. And it's at the cross that the, the heart of God, the, the fullness of God is displayed to us in its greatest revelation. We see the, 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 the glory of God and the preeminence of Christ in creation, but oh how we see it in the preeminence of Christ in redemption at the cross. As theologian John Calvin writes, in the cross of Christ as in a magnificent theater. The inestimable goodness of God is displayed before the whole world. In all the creatures, indeed both high and low, the glory of God shines. But nowhere has it shone more brightly than in the cross. Friends, Jesus' glory shines through all his creation. But it is through our redemption at the cross, that God displays His glory in all its 
rightness. Jesus takes us deeper into the, the very heart of God through our redemption, displays to us the, the fullness of God in his incredible glory. And he does it as the firstborn of all creation becomes the firstborn of the dead. He says he was pleased to do this. Verse 19 says he was pleased to do this. The word pleased literally means delighted. It was his delight to do this. So at the cross, we see the, the love of God and the mercy of God for us in a way we could never fathom. We would never imagine in a, in a million years had it not been told to us. And listen, it says, and just to hop back up to verse 18, it says that he did all this so that in everything he might be preeminent. He's preeminent over creation. He's preeminent in the church he's even preeminent over sin and death he's preeminent over anything we, we might find ourselves up against friends oftentimes it's 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 not just the the good things in life kind of the bright shiny things that distract us from christ but oftentimes it's the the hard things as well too it's the sickness we're experiencing or the, the fractured relationship financial challenges we may be having and the list can go on I'm sure there's probably things that that may just jump into your head right away and th these things can can take on a form of preeminence in our lives can't they 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 overshadow everything they they suck all the oxygen out of the room our, our life begins to to orbit around these particular problems Friends, take heart. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Everything he might be preeminent. There's nothing in life that we will face that is greater than Jesus. He can defeat death on our behalf. He can, he can handle any of our, our problems. He's greater than them all. Which means that he is preeminent in every part of our lives. And this leads us to our third and final point, which will, will be much briefer. Paul's concluded his hymn. Now wants us to point to what, what do we do with the, this, this notion of the preeminence of Christ in our lives? How is this picture of Christ's preeminence meant to be lived out? Notice how he connects this, this hymn to their lives in verse 21. He says... And you, right? Okay, everything I just said, and you, here's how it applies to you. And, and we, we want to look at three ways he applies it to us, three quick ways, um, by no means exhaustive. And those are verses 21 through 23. We sing, we stay captivated, and we share. First we sing. Verse 21, Paul reminds the Colossian church, by doing so, reminds us that, that this this hymn wasn't meant to be just, just this beautiful picture of Christ, though it is. He reminds them that in this hymn is, is actually found their very own story. He reminds them of who they were before Christ. Those, he said, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. They were those in rebellion to the firstborn of all creation, like you and I were. 
those in, in, in desperate need of reconciliation like you and I. He says, and now you have been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's saying, you were this, but now you are this. He's saying that this song, it's all about you. It's the, the, in, in the song of Christ's preeminence, we, we find our own stories are, are wrapped up in this. We were those in rebellion to the, the king of creation, the one who created us. And then Jesus steps in and reconciles us by his death, becoming the firstborn from the dead, bringing us peace through his cross. So now it says that we can come before God as one who is holy and set apart for him, brought near perfectly accepted and loved as if we've never sinned in our entire lives it's, it says we are, are now blameless um, it says no one can say otherwise it says we're above reproach above accusation this hymn is this song is a song of our redemption it's because Christ is preeminent that we are redeemed Paul wants them to see and, and not lose sight of how the, the realities of Christ's preeminence are not simply just meant to be kind of pie-in-the-sky doctrinal theory, but, but are, are tied to our, our very lives. And, and the first thing they should do is they should just move us to worship. They should just move us to, to be in awe of all that Christ has done. You know, we, we, we all have our, our, our favorite songs. Uh, maybe even if you're married here as a married couple, you have your kind of favorite song. Um, and it's a song that, that resonates with you because in a, in a certain way, it captures part of your story, right? I, I think of the, the Phillies last year singing their heart out in the, the playoffs, you know, dancing in the corner by themselves or whatever the, the song was because part of their story was wrapped up in that song. You know, it was the song of being an underdog. No one thought they were going to be able to, to do it. Friends, if you are in Christ this morning, the, this song of his preeminence should be sung with all our hearts because our stories are, are intimately wrapped up in this song. This is our song. Second, we see here we are to stay captivated by the preeminence of Christ. See in verse 23, Paul essentially says, don't move on from this in four different ways. He's saying, play the song on repeat. Don't let it grow old. He's saying we're to, to continue in the faith. He says we, we are to be stable, to be steadfast. We're not to shift from this hope we have in Christ through the gospel. In order to do this, we, we need to keep this vision of the preeminent Christ before us. This is what will keep us from all the, the distractions that vie for our attention. All the little furry cats that, that go running by. We need to stay captivated by Christ. It's what will keep us anchored to our hope in the gospel. It's what will keep us from, from drifting from the faith. How do we do this? There's much that can be said. Just one encouragement. Just find a, a way to daily dwell on the beauty of Christ and his word. Ultimately, what we, we spend our, our time beholding is, is what's going to captivate us, right? A good place to start could be maybe memorize this, this passage, right? Uh, there, I know for myself, just being in this passage over the, the past few weeks, there's just a, 
more, it just got sweeter as time went on, just sweeter and sweeter. Choose a passage, spend a few weeks just meditating on it throughout the day. Take Spurgeon's advice to heart. He said, read the Bible carefully and then meditate and meditate and meditate. Right? Let's behold the glory of Christ every day in his word, to, to ponder it, to journal about it, to talk about it with one another. Find our souls stirred by him. And finally, friends, we need to share the preeminent Christ with others. Paul says in verse 23 that this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Something has captured our hearts. We want to share it with others. And Paul says here, this gospel of the preeminent Christ has captured his heart in such a way it's actually changed the entire course of his life. He says he's become something different now. He says, I became a minister. Greek word literally means a, a servant, someone who lives at the service of another. When we, we see and grasp the, the preeminence of Jesus, we, we can no longer live as if our lives are our own because we know we, we were made for him. Right? We have to share this, this good news that the preeminent creator has now become the, the preeminent redeemer. He says the, the gospel has gone out to all creation. When, when, when we, we begin to, to grasp the, the preeminence of Christ, we, we begin to understand that this, this isn't just our story, but this is the, the story of, of, of everyone we meet. This makes sense of everyone we meet. And therefore, it's necessary that we, we bring it to others. You know, we, we live in this secular culture where we're, we're told that, that our, our beliefs are, are good for us, but, but are, are not meant for, for others, right? Uh, Talk about Jesus is meant to be reserved to church on Sunday or maybe church activities. And, and it just begins to seep into our thinking, right? This is the, the air we breathe. We just become accustomed to it. But, but when we, we see his preeminence, we, we begin to see that everyone we come in contact with has been personally created by him and for him. Everyone we, we come in contact with is, is being personally sustained with him right at this very moment. By him right at this very moment. Everyone we come in contact with, he is the, the only hope of their redemption and their reconciliation with the God that they were created to know. The one that will bring them the greatest joy. We need to, to share this, this preeminent Christ with those around us. Christ Church, let us never cease to share this good news. May we never cease to be captivated by the preeminent Christ. He is worthy of all our attention. He is worthy of all our affection. He is worthy of all our adoration. And He is worthy of all our action. And in all things, He might be preeminent. Let's pray.